0: Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news. And of course, you get the added bonus of expert insight and analysis on all the issues you want to hear about and debate in the world of football. With me, as always, is the transfer guru, Mr. Duncan Castles. And today we've got a Packed, packed podcast for you, full of news and developments and all the big stories. We're going to start with Duncan, one of his favourite countries, of course, is Portugal. And uh, Duncan, what's happening in the world of João Félix?
1: Well, Benfica believe that the player will be transferred this week. Um, they expect a deal to be done before the end of the week. Um, the question is to where? Uh, it looks like it's between Atletico Madrid and Manchester City at present. Um, Felix is in Madrid uh, talking to Atletico. Um, Atletico are desperate to sign the player. Uh, Diego Simeone in particular, I'm told, is pushing the club to bring him in as the replacement for Antoine Griezmann. He loves um, Felix's technique and he loves his attitude. He, he thinks he's got a little bit of um, streetwise nature to him an ability to mess defenders around and uh, win fouls that uh, obviously appeals to the Argentine. So uh, it's pushing the club to do that. People close to him are saying that uh, Atletico are the strongest contenders. But they do not rule out the possibility that uh, the Manchester City will decide to um, meet the release clause, 120 million euros that Benfica are asking for. And Benfica insist that the player will only be sold in a deal that's worth 120 million euros to them because they, they've told their fans that's the only basis on which he would leave. Um The problem, I believe, from the Manchester City end is that they need to, uh, raise cash. Um, they have looked at Felix as a replacement for Leroy Zani, who is, uh, whos who has been in conversations with Bayern Munich about a move. We detailed in the podcast some months ago the problems between Guardiola and Zani and Zani's refusal to sign a new contract. Um, Manchester City as a club would like to retain Zani, and if they can do that, then I think the chances of them also signing uh, Felix this summer are limited. Um, but the, I, I think this is a situation in which it's fluid. Um, if uh, City can be convinced to act and meet that money that Benfica want. I believe that people close to Felix will advise him that Manchester City is a better move for him from a career perspective than Atletico's. Um, if you want to go through some of the reasons for that, I'd recommend you go back and listen to the podcast we did with um, FBI uh, Portugal director um, Sergio Cretinus. Um, uh, the week before last, um, the issue obviously is that coming in as replacement for Griezmann would be would put an immense amount of pressure on the 19 year old and a level of ex- expectation that he probably would not have at Manchester City, who have um, a more measured uh, introduction to the the first team planned for the player, Uh, wouldn't need to put him into the firing line, so to speak, of of being the the, the top man in an attack uh, in his first season away from the the Portuguese league, Uh, could gradually coach him through uh, giving him perhaps half the game time in a season um, and uh, wait for him to develop into the player that most people in the game think he will become and city have done this before if you look to bernardo silva who uh in my view and in the, in the view of many others was ended up being the best player in the Premier League last season, if you look at his first season at City, um, he was by no means uh, an automatic choice he was uh, gradually brought into the team and and allowed to develop in a way that he's become such an important player for them, so that that um, pathway appeals and, and it should be noted that Bernardo Silva's representatives are the same as Jean Felix's, so that there will be an argument for doing it that way Benfica, though Confident they'll get the money, um, I think already planning on how they will spend some of that money and and uh, confident of showing to the world that uh, that they can deliver a player from their academy who, uh, who becomes uh, a, a over a 100 million euro sale, one of the most expensive footballers of all, all time at the, at the young age
0: of 19. I think the question as well, Duncan, is can Manchester City afford not to buy Joao Felix at this point, given... That clearly, David Silva uh, is has, does have a brilliant. Clearly, is does have a shelf life, and uh, has been there a long time. And he may well be looking to maybe take it a bit easier in the next couple of years. Um, if you think about that attacking three of Bernardo Silva, Rhyme Sterling, and Jao Felix, I mean that's scary. It's scary enough with Manchester City when you look at players like Kevin De Bruyne, who used to play in the front three and has since dropped back to playing. Uh, the midfield too, but if he's 120 million euros now with a release clause, and he he does develop, and uh, the way that, as you say, people in the game believe he will, now you've got 120 million euros, he's going to be worth you know double that maybe in three years' time, and that's what I mean by how can City afford not to buy him, especially with the situation they're in regarding David Silva.
1: That's the argument, and that's one of the. the- the reasons why there's leverage um, to try and get Felix to City now, and that's I think that's the discussion that will be being had. It's um, if you need if you want to sign this player, you have to make a decision. Atlético Madrid are going to do the deal. Benfica are going to sell him. Um, it's now or never in terms of getting him at this price. He is going to turn into one of the top players in world football. You see the way transfer fees are are accelerating. Um, yes. This looks very expensive for a 19-year-old, but if he develops the way people expect him to do, it won't look expensive down the line. Factor into this that Pep Guardiola during last season um, very explicitly went into press conferences, I think on, on, on at least two occasions, and said, we have to be quicker in the market. We have to ensure we get the top talents when they're available, we can't allow them to go to other clubs. Um, Kylian Mbappé wasn't mentioned in that press conference, but I think the um, the undertone was there. And remember, two years ago, uh, Pep Guardiola met with Kylian Mbappé in person. He wanted the player brought to Manchester City. He ended up losing out in a three-way battle with Paris Saint-Germain and Real Madrid for the player. And now Paris Saint-Germain um, own the player that everyone expects to become the successor to Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. And um, although they had to pay €180 million euros in the end to get him uh, on the open market today, they'd easily, easily increased that fee. And, um, you know, two, three years down the line, depending how how uh, football revenues develop, you can see Kylian Mbappe perhaps being a €300 million Euro player. Um, The the, the direction of transfer fees is such that something like that could happen. So there's a pressure internally from Guardiola not to miss out on the player. And and Manchester City are very strategic. Chiki Bagiristan knows what he's doing. If you look at um, the history of signings they've made in recent years, all of virtually all of the players they're signing tend to be in their early 20s. They tend to be signing players who they can get at least the length of a long-term contract out of, perhaps two lengths of a long-term contract out of, who um, rapidly increase in value once they get them in the team. They're they're not buying for the current season. They've got the the luxury of not having to do that, as they did with Bernardo Silva. They can buy... With the strategy, we will retain this player for 10 years um, and we believe he's going to become one of the top players in Europe. In this case, one of the top players in the world. So go and get him. The complication, however, is Manchester City are under financial scrutiny like they've never been before. They have... um, they are uh, under uh, about to be decide, have a case decided upon by UEFA over breach of financial fair play rules. Uh, the European game is infuriated with the evidence, uh, documentary evidence that's been presented of rule-breaking in the past. This is not a good time for them to go into the market and uh, put €120 million euros down for a teenager. Um, it's not a good time if you... If you believe that Sani is going to end up at Bayern, which they have to calculate on that basis, given that he's refused to sign a new contract, and Bayern have made it very clear they want the player to go in in those circumstances and pay the money now, for uh, Jean Felix uh, weakens their hand when it comes to negotiating a price with Bayern, you know, because Bayern will say, "Well, you've you've signed your replacement, uh, you've put that much money down in the market, you need to recover money. Therefore, we are not going to go higher than the uh, the eighty million euros we'd like to spend on the player." So that there are a lot of elements in play here, and I think the complications at the Manchester City end are why Atletico are favourites. To get Felix at the moment. Um, and, and I'm told that Felix has been impressed by Diego Simeone. He's been impressed by the conversations he's had there. So you have to say, you know, doff your cap to Atletico. They have uh, made a decision that they want to go after this player, that he's key to their, their recruitment chances. Um, and. In normal circumstances, they probably wouldn't be, almost certainly wouldn't be in first in line to sign a player of that quality. But because they've gone down that road quickly, they've put the money on the table, Benfica are happy with the deal that's been offered to them. They might end up getting him.
0: Fascinating stuff. And that transfer will no doubt play out over the next few days, possibly even the next few weeks if Manchester City get involved. So from one side of Manchester to the other, well, actually, to the other side of the world, <clears throat> and the question, which has been posed many, many times, both in the Transfer Wonder podcast, how do you solve a problem like Paul Pogba? Let me just read you some of the quotes that he has been um, given to the Far East press while doing a promotional tour. Yes, people, he's flown all the way there for a promotional tour after a very long season. Uh, you take your own thoughts from that. For me... I've been for three years in Manchester, he said, and I've been doing great. Some good moments and some bad moments. After this season and everything that happened this season with my season, it was my best season as well. I think for me it can be a good time to have a new challenge somewhere else. I am thinking of this to have a new challenge somewhere else. Duncan, we know the influence that um, Pogba's agent, Mino Riola, has on him. We have seen and we have spoken about, indeed analysed. Pogba's statements, the public ones that he's made in the last 18 months uh, while Manchester United, we know that these things are orchestrated, they're carefully considered, and then they're delivered by Pogba. Uh, But clearly, the message is there, and it's also coming from Mino as well, who's trying to move the player. Uh, He's not giving Manchester United a lot of wiggle room here, is he? And, And indeed, United have been briefing this morning that the player's not for sale.
1: He's not. I think you're right to say that this is prepared, it's scripted. I think if you you go online and watch the video, you watch Pogba talking, he he gives the impression of a man who um, has those words that he wants to put out to the world's press and he's uh, recalling them and making sure uh, that they're said to the um, the, the Japanese journalists and uh, and sumo wrestlers who were surrounding him on that uh, Adidas promotional tour. I don't think it's coincidental that uh, that these words were dropped while he was working for his main sponsor. Um, if you remember uh, the this transfer saga when he came to Manchester United, Adidas. Um, ran with that for months and got a huge amount of publicity over it um, and uh, and I think there were a lot of people uh, who were aware that that deal had been in place a long time before it was finally announced with Manchester United and both Adidas and the club were happy to have Paul Pogba's name in the headlines for a summer because it, it worked on uh, for, the, for them in both of their commercial interests. This is the other side of Paul Pogba though. This is the um, the element you get when you tell a player that he is so important to your club um, and when you uh, let him believe that he can act in the fashion he's acted at the club for three years. um, Undermine uh, the manager who signed him, question his tactics in public, uh, undermine him in the dressing room have that manager call him out and then have the club decide that uh, that manager should be replaced um, in order to, as part of one reason for replacing him, to get the best out of their their star player. Um, I think Manchester United have played with fire with Bogba and uh, they had the option last summer to sell him and they decided not to do it. I'm not sure... Well, they still have an option to sell him this summer or not, but it's becoming a much harder option to enforce in that if they don't sell Paul Pogba, it will clearly be against his will, against the will of his agent. It will be against the will of Zinedine Zidane, who, as we told you several weeks ago, has prioritised Pogba's signing. Now he has Eden Hazard at Real Madrid. Um, So if you want to keep a player in those circumstances... Be aware how difficult it's going to be and how unhappy he is he, he's going to be in being forced to stay at Manchester United and calculate how he's behaved in his three years at the club so far and the problems he's caused uh, when, uh, even when he was supposed to be committed and even when it was supposed to be the club that he was going to establish himself as the best footballer in the world, which was the plan when he came on a record transfer. Um, I think it's absolutely telling that Pogba, let's, let's, let's take him in his word. let's say he actually believes this, that he had his best season. He's, he said that this past season was his best season in football. Let's, let's take him in his words and say he actually believes that. I mean, that is an incredible statement. Yes, he scored more goals than any other season in his career, 16 goals. But he took the penalties last season, and half of those goals were penalty goals. And remember, he missed three of them. He um, was stripped of the captaincy publicly uh, in front of the other players. He was then made the centrepiece of the team by the the manager coming in to the club. Um, Basically, had, had the team redesigned around him had uh, all the confidence given to him, um, was talked about as being the central player for Manchester United. That manager then made him the captain for a game. Uh, He delivered one of his worst performances of the year and and stripped him of the captaincy again, didn't let him captain Manchester United again after that. Um, His performances went into sharp decline at the end of the season. Um, Manchester United were in position against the odds to qualify uh, for the Champions League and missed out, uh, eventually finishing sixth uh, when all the teams around them, uh, competing for those Champions League places, were dropping points at a great rate of knots too. Um, how a player, a serious footballer, can describe that as his best season, I do not understand. If he thinks that's his best season, I think that would that should be the best sign of all to Manchester United that in a summer in which the most affluent club in world football in terms of revenues, wants to sign him uh, when their manager is pressing uh, the president of Real Madrid to sign him, that they should take that opportunity very quickly, um, take the money for Pogba, redirect his salary to other areas of the team and, uh, and rebuild uh, in a sensible fashion without a player who has been at the very least as much trouble... As, uh, as he's been a benefit to the club in, it, in his three years there. The question, of course, you have to have uh, with Ed Woodward in charge of transfer still is whether United are capable of redirecting that money intelligently into a restructure. But from a football perspective, I think the sensible move here is going to be to let Pogba go because if you don't, um, you, you're going to have a summer of trouble as Raiola tries to manipulate that transfer and you're going to have a season of trouble
0: with a discontented player if you retain him against as well. I think what we're seeing as well, Duncan, is a fairly standard way of operating uh, in terms of uh, the uh, process of a player who um, wants to move, therefore agitates for that move by making his feelings public about that. The response of the club is... To brief the media that uh, he's not for sale, therefore ensuring that it's uh, the the cost or value of the player is maintained in any negotiation. Um, Obviously, a club at Real Madrid will um, bargain the price for Pogba on the basis: well, you've got an unhappy player; you're going to have to sell him anyway, so you may as well sell him to us, and we'll give you, let's just say, 120 million euros rather than 150. So that's, I think we've got to see through that part of this particular story. Um, my information was that Real Madrid were informally invited to make an offer for Pogba in the last 10 days, uh, which they have not done as yet. Uh, and I think it's because they are being briefed by his agent, Mina Raiola that Paul is about to make statements publicly about his desire to leave, therefore putting Manchester United the gun to their head. About allowing him to leave. You're right, and you've been reporting this for weeks now. There's a Dan, uh, it's Operation Pogba as far as he's concerned. And I think, from what I hear from people at, at Real Madrid, they're confident of signing on this summer for the reason that the player wants to come and that Manchester United will, uh, will eventually, they won't cave because I think there's a feeling that, yeah, he has perhaps been more trouble than he's worth. Add into this that he's now going into the fourth year of a five year contract. Now, if he does not allow to leave, then Manchester United find themselves yet again in a position of having a player who is unhappy and therefore is he going to play well or not, but then would be going into the final year of his contract next summer. So his value would be greatly decreased, in fact, probably halved if we look at um, similar uh, cases. So I think the gun to Manchester United's head is very much the bullets in the chamber. And it's just a case of when the trigger is pulled and Pogba will become a Real Madrid player.
1: Manchester United have been aware of this situation. Um, they, are prepared, they have been preparing midfield reinforcements. Obviously, they lost Ander Herrera when they um, uh, didn't give him a, a satisfactory uh, uh, offer of a renewal. And he decided to leave, leave as a free agent, so they need to replace him. Um, but there has been an expectation that they might lose Pogba this window, which has been a, you know, an obvious thing coming to them. Uh, they have had conversations with um, the agent of Uri Tielemans, um, who is currently at Leicester City on, on loan, um, but owned by AS Monaco. Um, I believe Tielemans has been told that he is first uh, option to replace Pogba should he leave. Um, I'm not sure he's entirely convinced that uh, that he is. Indeed, first option. But Manchester United have told them that. Uh, Monaco would be more than happy to sell and they want a bidding war, so they just want to get as much money for the player as possible, looking at a, a, a price of of at least £40 million uh, pounds for the player. Um, we told you several weeks ago now that Manchester United have been in conversations with Ivan Rakitic, at Barcelona um, to come into the club. Rakitic, uh is unconvinced that that's the right move for him and uh, would prefer to remain at Barcelona. Barcelona want over €50 million for him, I believe. Manchester United prepared to pay about €30 for the player. Um, You, Ian, told us about the approach to James Madison, who wouldn't be a like-for-like replacement for Pogba, but um, would provide the kind of creativity passing options goal scoring chances that Pogba is so good at, at doing so you could possibly pair Madison with a more um, defensive midfielder to have a, to have a, a new shape for them um, so that there are a lot there's a lot of work going on there about potential replacements United uh, bizarrely also interested in um, Sean Longstaff um, at, at Newcastle United and um, who they appear to have identified as a as a as a future talent who can develop into a top midfielder. I personally, I find that move extremely strange since he hasn't yet proven himself good enough to hold down a Premier League place at, at Newcastle United. And um, and what Manchester United need are not development midfielders; they need experienced, uh, ready to go leaders um, with very good skills who can immediately. Uh, improve the quality of the team um, they already have a very good development midfielder in Scott McTominay so if you bring another one in uh, how do you get both of them playing time, how do you actually develop them and is Manchester United the right environment to be a development player at present this club is under huge pressure it's underperformed badly last season it has to get back in the Champions League places um, it's miles away by its own manager's admission from competing for the Premier League um, they need to buy correctly now and they can't act as though they are um, a Tottenham Hotspur of years ago uh, picking off um, who they think are top English talents who will develop into valuable players down the line because it's not, it's not the right environment to be that kind of player, um, you can set a player's development back by putting him into a team where expectations are too high and, uh, and he doesn't get enough games. So there's, I think this should be, it shouldn't be such a worry t- to Manchester United fans that Pogba leaves because that is to be expected, um, given the character of the individual, given the character of the agent, given the way he's behaved in recent times. What should be a worry is the strategy Manchester United have to replace him.
0: Well, I was reminded um, during uh, the research for the podcast today, Duncan, about what Ole Gunnar said in the wake of the defeat uh, to Manchester City in April in the Premier League. And he said, this this club has to alter the flawed transfer strategy that it currently employs. Now, I see no indication whatsoever of anything having changed or even changing and you've got if you're a soul share, and you've you've been sold a certain <clears throat> let's say vision, although you know, may well turn out to be a nightmare um, about you know what power you'll have or what influence you'll have, and then you'll actually find that yes you get to speak face to face with Edward Woodward, yes you get to sell him what you want and what you don't want, and it all looks like <clears throat> you know there's being a kind of collegiate approach to uh, the signing uh, strategy, but then nothing happens. You don't hear anything. The players you ask for don't get delivered. The players you were asked if you could sell either don't go or do go. And uh, Woodward goes and does everything he wants to do anyway. And it seems to me it's, it's this whole short-termism which has been prevalent since Sir Alex Ferguson left. I think, what, six managers have appointed now in six years. And um, it's it's almost like a, a derision of the manager's authority that, um, well, why would we allow you to choose players who signed for five years because you're only going to be here for a year or two
1: I think there's a lot of voices and I think, I think it, it's changed in the sense that the scouting um, the huge scouting department that Ed Wood put in place using a, a city recruitment company just before Jose Mourinho um, was appointed now clearly have a voice I think um, Daniel James and Sean Longstaff are products of that scouting department saying, hey, look, these are the guys we, we have identified as being um, good young British players who have potential for Manchester United. We advise you should, uh, should be trying to sign them. Um, so you've got that voice and you can question that voice and you should be questioning that voice because no other top six club was trying to sign Daniel James. I don't see any other top six club trying to sign Sean Longstaff, um, which makes you think, have they identified the right people? But you have so many voices there. You have uh, Woodward, you have the scouting department, you have Solskjaer, you have Mike Phelan. Um, You have all these people, plus agents, recommending uh, to the club, chipping into the conversation. What they don't have, what I see no sign of, is a coherent strategy. I see no sign of, and in fact, they're now briefing, that they will not hire a director of football for this summer. And that is clearly... What they need, they need a coherent, intelligent football voice who knows the transfer market, who can say, this is the way we we are going to go forward as a club. Therefore, we need these types of players and can uh, detect those players and put those deals in place. What I see at the moment is just a a collage of different voices operating um, under pressure to try and and uh, remedy a situation which is not fully under the club's control. And, you know, all of those things are not good signs for Manchester United because what they do have is money. Um, And they have been very bad at spending that money for a number of years now. Um, I think it was a nice uh, demonstration put out of, uh, of the number of players that Manchester United have actually managed to sell at a profit, although they're not a club that intends to sell players. But I think in the, in the years since Woodward um, has taken over as chief executive, they've made money um, on just two players of all the signings uh, that have been brought into the club. All the players have been sold since that stage. So the money is there to do stupid things. And, and let's face it, uh, they have a, a very uh, dangerous and extensive history of making mistakes in the transfer market um, since Ed Woodward took control of the club and um, the signs are that they're going to do the same thing again this summer.
0: Well, from one club who are failing to uh, produce a consistent or indeed even a beneficial transfer policy. That, of course, is Chelsea, uh, who are currently serving a two window transfer ban uh, handed down by FIFA for the signing of players under the late team from abroad. However, they do appear to be edging closer to a new manager. Mircea Sari has left and signed for Juventus. And it's our information that uh, the compensation which Derby County uh, are due to release uh, the contract of Frank Lampard, will be concluded with uh, the Chelsea hierarchy in the next 24 to 48 hours. Duncan, you wrote a very um, interesting and insightful piece in the Sunday Times uh, last weekend in which uh, you uh, talked about Roman Abramovich having uh, a personal interest and indeed uh, communication in this particular uh, appointment, as well as, uh, and don't forgive me because I love the phrase, Frank Lampard putting back together the band his band of blues brothers uh, by bringing in a couple of Chelsea legends as well as his coaches from Derby County who almost got that club to the Premier League uh, through the championship playoff final.
1: Yeah, I I I think um I think Roman Abramovich and I think Chelsea have been very clever and strategic here. We we've told you in the podcast um for some time now, that, that Frank Lampard had reservations about re- returning to Chelsea so early in his managerial career, um, and and they're obvious reservations because the risk of of going to a club which has a history of uh, sacking managers. I think I calculated that in the eleven seasons that Frank Lampard spent as a Roman Abramovich employee. Um, The Russian billionaire sacked eight of his managers, which is uh, quite a a hit rate. Um, They have that transfer window banned, so you can't do anything in the market this summer. Um, The squad has not been happy. Um, They won the Europa League, yes. Uh, They managed to qualify for the Champions League, but the, the, the support was very unhappy with performances on the field and, and the actions of the club last season. So all of those things added up to, do I want to go one year into uh, what I intend to be a very long uh, management career to a club which has a history of sacking managers, where managers have a, have a history of, being, of getting very little time to demonstrate their values um, a club where where players have a history of um, undermining the manager and and uh, and having him changed when things go wrong is it is that too big a risk for me? I think um, Chelsea. What Abramovich has done there has gone directly to Frank Lampard, who he had a very good relationship with when he was his player, and explained to him why he wants him at the club and assured him that uh, he understands the difficulties Chelsea are in at the moment um, and that he will have at least two seasons in which to demonstrate his value as a manager, i.e. he will get the, the transfer window for the 2020-21, the summer transfer window for the 2020-21 season and the winter window. Um, he's, they, they, it works for Chelsea as well because it, it takes the pressure away from the club of uh, appointing a manager um, because they know that this manager is the most popular appointment they can make. Um, Frank Lampard is a, is a loved individual at Chelsea um, for what he did in the football field for them and, and how he is as, as a person, a man who pre- an intelligent man who presents himself well, uh, who will be a good spokesman for the club. But will, from the club's perspective, buy them time. Because if things go wrong next season with what will have to be a makeshift squad, because they cannot buy, um, with a squad that's probably going to involve a lot of uh, academy um, development players that Chelsea have been trying to promote to the first team for a long time, um, will now have to be used. Um, So the chances are that that could uh, be a difficult first season season. For Frank Lampard on the football field, but the fans will give him time to um, to perform there. From Chelsea's perspective, that saves them money. They don't, they won't, they, they they don't have to spend in the transfer market because they can't spend in the transfer market. They haven't appealed that ban. Um, I think because they're happy to go along this route. They've always Abramovich has always wanted as many academy players in the first team as possible. This gives him an excuse to have those academy players promoted into the first team with, let's face it, uh, an assistant manager, Jodie Morris, who was the coach of, a successful coach of the academy team um, for several years. So you're bringing in an assistant coach who um, knows the players, knows their qualities, has worked with them before, and in many ways an ideal person to promote them into the first team. You've got a manager who um, has worked with academy players at Derby County successfully uh, and got good performances with with them, almost getting them promoted into the Premier League. Um, That manager has invited Didier Drogba, another club legend, um, to come back and be part of his coaching staff. Um, Petr Cech is going to be part of the technical department, probably given a technical director role, working alongside Marina Granovskaia. So you have three of the key figures of the most Chelsea successful side ever coming back to work in tandem in the club with one of them effectively in the director's area, working alongside Marina Granovskaia. So from, from Lampard's point of view, he has a somebody he can trust, close to the most important decision-maker at the club, the chief executive, Granovskaya, He has a, a direct line to Abramovich through his relationship with him. Um, and he, will, he has three, you know, including himself, very intelligent, very experienced football figures who know how to win things. Um, yes, uh, it's new from a. Uh, it'll be the first. He'll be the first Englishman to to manage uh, Chelsea under Abramovich. Yes, it's his first Premier League job. Yes, Didier Drogba hasn't worked in a coaching role before. Yes, it's a new uh, role for Czech. But if you're going to have people in new roles in that fashion at a club, this is probably the best setup um, you can have for them. Um, Interested to know what your view is of, of, of how how Lampard will do uh, as a Premier League manager as as someone who uh, who wrote uh, who, who ghost wrote his biography.
0: Yeah, like I think you're right to um, emphasise that symbiotic relationship uh, between Drogba, Cech and and Frank Lampard. Um, Frank, as a player, um, was quite old fashioned in that he always he would use a phrase like, um, these are guys I would go to war with, these are guys i had been in a trench with. And uh, that particular team, which obviously included John Terry as well, and Ashley Cole, um, those guys were, they were like brothers, uh, more than just teammates. And they, they would, you know, trust each other on the pitch with anything. So the fact that, if you're bringing those three back together, especially as you mentioned, Duncan, with um, the technical role for Petr Cech, a very intelligent, articulate uh, man who knows football well, uh, and him being uh, in direct, uh, working with Marina Garnaskaya, then what it looks like a very solid base, a base that a lot of Chelsea managers obviously have not had been privileged to or been deprived of in in the past and certainly in the Abramovich year, that's for sure. So, in terms of his personality, Frank's a winner. He is a winner. He'll do. You know, he he doesn't take well any kind of defeat. Now, it's one thing to say he's going in there with say one arm tied behind his back because of the transfer ban, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He won't see it that way. He'll see that as a proper challenge. That's a coaching challenge to him. And remember, this is a guy who you know, brought uh, got the best out of young players like Tom Lawrence and Mason Mount at Derby County. He's got Mason Mount back at Chelsea with him. He's got Tammy Abraham back at Chelsea. He's, he's got um, F- uh, Fiaki tomorrow as well, who was, was on loan with him at uh, uh, the centre-back, who was on loan with him at Derby. And he will have no, no fear about putting those guys in and playing them along with... I wouldn't say that um, Chelsea has a, you know, one of the best squads in the Premier League, but they've got a very good one. Uh, obviously, losing Aidan Hazard is, is a huge miss because of, well... The fact he scores and assists almost everything that went on at Stamford Bridge in the last seven years. But this is going to be a new look, Chelsea. It's going to be a younger Chelsea, a more hungry Chelsea. And I think that's what the fans would like to see. Remember, Chelsea fans are themselves very traditional. You know, they, they see a tradition in their club that they get mocked for by other clubs. But in actual fact, you know, there's that diehard element, et cetera, et cetera. And even the new element as well. I think they'd like to identify with a club legend, more than one club legend in the dugout. And also with young you know, English uh, academy-grown talents as well coming through and playing and showing what they can do for the club. Something which I said they've not seen very much of in the past decade or so. So with, with Frank in charge, and remember, this is a guy who literally, you know, when he enters a room, there's silence. He has that aura about him. You know and not not many people do um, he he will change you know the mood or the tone of of any room he walks into. so when he walks into a dressing room, especially the Chelsea dressing room, you' can be rest assured that every single person in there, including senior players um, who've been there for a while, say someone like William, who played with Frank as well, will also look to him with that same amount of respect and sit, and, and basically you know do their best for him. You know, Frank learned. At the knee of Jose Mourinho when he first arrived in England, two thousand and four, and you know that sort of rather sort of strange image of Jose walking into the showers at Stamford Bridge after training one day. Uh, sorry, Cob- uh, Cobham, and um, Frank was completely stark naked. You will become the best midfielder in the world, and I will help you get there. And what you need is trophies, but I know you've got the talent. I know you've got the determination. And Frank said at the time, I walked out there feeling like I was, I was you know, 20 feet tall. And Frank, I think, has that same charisma to tell players how much better they can be, and also get the best out of them. It was which Mourinho was has always been best man management. Jody Morris, as you mentioned, has proved himself to be an exceptional young coach, and certainly uh, does a lot of the training um, setups on a day-to-day basis, and has been very successful uh, for his five years as head of the under-18s, winning numerous FA Youth Cups, UEFA Youth Champions League, um, and UEFA uh, uh, Premier League B as well. So, look, I think this, it feels like there's no lining of the stars, Duncan, for me. Uh, and it's come at a right time. Not you, know, you don't often get the chance where it's the right thing for the club and the right thing for the manager. And I think this is.
1: Yeah, look, I think there's a big risk involved. Still, um, I think it, it is—it's a tough management job. Um, the top six is highly competitive. Um, they have lost their best player, and uh, you're talking about inexperienced coaches uh, and managers taking over there. However, Manchester United have an experienced manager as well. Um, Arsenal. Are not in a perfect place by any means and and you know Tottenham have demonstrated that sometimes not changing your squad radically they uh, play can be a good thing uh, and if you know that 's the way you have to go, then you go that way and you get the best out of it and I think this this um, assurance and the, the tie in he has from Abramovich is very important in in allowing him to take that risk and uh, and you know you, you have to applaud him for being prepared to take it and backing himself to succeed at this level. They've also been helped um, by Maurizio Sarri's uh, exit to Juventus in the sense that this is a manager that uh, the club were uh, very close to sacking during the season and they've ended up getting a compensation compensation package for him from Juventus which I'm told uh, will not be paid as cash up front because Juventus don't want the embarrassment of having to pay a, a cash sum for Sari. so they'll try and roll it into a player deal um, or some other structure perhaps a, a discount on Higuain's loan. loan fee has been suggested to me there's also um, the the factor that uh, Sari wants to bring Emerson um, to Juventus uh, as, a, as a signing and is, is pushing Juventus also to sign Jorginho, his uh, his absolute favourite player at Chelsea. Um, whether Juventus will go down that line, I'm not as convinced. I think they are they are ready to to try and, and sign Emerson. Um, they're happy enough with that deal. Whether they're prepared to put a lot of money on the table for Jorginho is... Uh, is more complex but uh, if that were to come off then that would really would be an extra um, present to uh, Frank Lampard and to Chelsea in the sense that you could restore N'Golo Kante to his natural position and, uh, and take some significant revenue for a player who has had a very difficult first season in the Premier League and, and put it in the bank for that first summer in which they are able to spend money on players again. Mm-hmm.
0: All you regular listeners will know that it was a transfer window which named them FC Hollywood. And now BSG's owner is calling out his stars for the celebrity behaviour. Just give me 30 seconds while I read out this extraordinary quote from Nasser al Khalifi The players will have to assume their responsibilities even more than before. They are not here to please. And if they do not agree, the doors are open. Ciao! I do not want to have any celebrity behaviour anymore. He's quoted the, uh, this in a uh, very distinguished French sports paper, Lequipe. Duncan, you revealed exclusively on the transfer window on May 31st that Neymar was for sale. I don't think we uh, have to go be too forensic in that quote to find out who he's talking about. What chances of Neymar leaving, given the price on his head uh, to, to make a transfer successful? And where would he most likely go to if indeed he gets out, Neymar wants to
1: leave. Um, one of the reasons Nasser has said this is because Neymar's been pushing for a move out of Paris Saint Germain pretty much since he got there, um, as well as all the, the, the superstar celebrity behaviour that's, uh, that's uh, damaged coaches and, and embarrassed the club. Neymar's been trying to get a move to Real Madrid. Um, I think that remains difficult for him. Uh, Florentino Perez of course would like to sign the player but Zinedine Didan has uh, has put his uh, emphasis on other players and other positions obviously Hazard already in um, and Pogba as we've talked about being the, the next priority for Barcelona have made an offer to Paris Saint-Germain already for Neymar um, they're offering Guzman de Belli or Philippe Coutinho in exchange um, potentially with cash um, that is an attractive deal for Neymar, in that it would give him the opportunity to be reunited with Lionel Messi and Luis Suarez at Barcelona. However, he would have to accept um, a pay cut on his on his Paris Saint Germain salary to go back there, Barcelona, making it clear that they can't afford to take on the full gamut of his uh, of his Parisian wages in doing that deal. Um, Qatar have for some time now made it clear uh, in, in private discussions that were they to receive an offer for Neymar that got their money back, they spent in getting from Barcelona, they'd be happy to do that deal. Because, as as we detailed in the podcast, because they feel that from a sporting perspective, they now have Kylian Mbappe as the, the central figure of the team, that Neymar has missed too many games, caused too much trouble.
0: Um, Only 16 starts, Duncan, in Liga last season. 16
1: yeah it's he is extremely injury prone as we know he likes to take holidays um, in this first season he asked not to play in certain away games because he didn't fancy them likes to take a break obviously when when it's his sister's birthday he expects special privileges and <sighs> As I said, Neymar's been pushing to get out of Paris almost from the very start. And and the only thing that stopped him, because Real Madrid have have been trying to sign him during that period, is Qatar's refusal to do the deal. They didn't want the embarrassment of selling that stellar signing, that headline signing back so quickly. From a sporting perspective, it always made sense. Um, If you can get your money back, or, or they probably could have made a profit if they'd done it last summer. Take the money, take the, the, the salary off the wage bill, reinvest it elsewhere. But pride prevented them from doing that. What I'm told, uh, and what, what we explained in the podcast last month, is that that pride element has gone in the sense that they now accept it. the rational decision is to sell. Uh, and I think what Nasser said this weekend um, is just an expression of that. It's it's. It's making it clear that uh, they're not happy with how things stand. Um, and if, I think also it, it's a warning, as it appears, to Neymar. Um, if you don't get your move, if you don't accept to move away this summer, if you don't take that uh, pay cut that might be required to go to Barcelona, we're not going to tolerate the way you behaved last season. It's going to be a different Paris Saint-Germain going forward. So be aware of that. Um, when you're making your decision on uh, on the offers that are on the table, um, it's possible other clubs might come in. Um, I with Manchester United, you can always env- envisage a scenario uh, that they do something dramatic for a player like Neymar, who is, has still retains huge commercial appeal. If they can't get other solutions sorted in the window. Um, whether Neymar could be convinced to go to England um, and to go to a club that's uh, outside the Champions League is another matter altogether. Um, but at, at present, basically it looks like his, his only real um, negotiating out at present is Barcelona's. Um, it looks like Madrid is not possible for him this summer, although the president would like to do that deal. It would be so complicated in terms of... Uh, Going against it as well. Um, so an interesting couple of months ahead, I think, to see if we do finally get a resolution to, um, to Neymar's unhappy stay in France.
0: I think anyone, Duncan, has seen the pictures of Neymar um, on crutches coming in and out of police offices in Brazil uh, where he's answering allegations of rape and cyber crimes against the victim of that alleged rape as well. He looks a broken man, both physically and mentally. He just looks like someone who's extremely unhappy, which you can understand given the pressure of his circumstances. But this is a guy who had the entire world at his feet just two and a half years ago and looked like being the next superstar player. Uh, His stock was on the rise exponentially. And then he's almost like he did the reverse Ronaldinho. Ronaldinho, you remember, was at PSG, then moved to Barcelona, where he became one of the best players in the world. Neymar was at Barcelona and chose to go in the other direction, where it's just all gone wrong for him. It's, it's, it's almost quite kind of pathetic and sad to see, to be honest. But the only way I can see both PSG being satisfied and Neymar is if they, they have to cut the price. I don't see any club buying Neymar in his current state for two hundred million euros, or sorry, above two hundred twenty million euros, I just can't see any club taking that. I mean, you know, who would be that stupid um, to, to do that? I think Neymar at €140, 150 million. PSG have to take take the hit on that, but they do solve the problem. Just well, don't solve, they solve the problem for them. They pass the problem to someone else, and to be honest, that's the only way I can see that working out. And it's interesting as well in terms of the discipline aspect at PSG because this was a club remember, who were criticised by Adrian Rabiot's mum when he was sent uh, to train with the, the academy kids uh, because he refused to sign a new contract. And she said, very, very pointedly, there's one rule for one and one rule for others. Um, he's not the one flying around the world partying. <laughs> now, it's interesting that, I said, Khalifi, president, has taken the opportunity to speak in this way um, and warn everyone. It's about brinksmanship again. It really is a case of, you know, ship up or ship out because uh, we don't want to be seen as a joke of European football anymore. We want to be considered a serious football club.
1: I think uh, I agree. I think, um, I think everything I hear from Paris Saint-Germain is that that dressing room is a huge problem and obviously having Neymar as the, the leader of the dressing room uh, accentuates that problem. Um, I agree that it would be difficult to get 222 million euros in a a one-off fee from another European club. And I think that's another reason why Barcelona are are viable here, because a deal can be structured in which Philippe Coutinho, for example, who Paris Saint-Germain have have tried to sign before and who Barcelona actively are trying to sell, can be rolled into the deal with a cash sum. So you can make it look... Like two hundred and twenty-two million, it can you know from a PR perspective, it can be continual plus, let's say sixty million, um, and and then you can say, well, that continual costs one hundred and sixty million total to to Barcelona if all the bonuses have been paid. So we got our money back, and everyone everyone is happy uh, from the the perception that they've that everyone's got their money back, and and it, the perception that they've got a good deal. Um, I, I think. The behaviour of Neymar and the behaviour of Pogba is kind of symptomatic of where modern football is, and, and the rise of the the superstar, celebrity, commercially valuable player on um, huge, huge contracts that make them that give them an importance to the club beyond their actual performances on the field. Obviously, Neymar and Pogba were signed with the perspective that they were top players in the world and, and the expectation that they would perform like top players in the world. I think Neymar's got closer to that than than Pogba has but neither of them have consistently delivered or in Pogba's case has never even got close to consistently delivering and I think their status is now actually a, a barrier to them reaching that level in that whenever they they reach a roadblock on the road or a frustration in terms of their performances on the field. Instead of looking to themselves to improve, they look for excuses and uh, and they look for a change of circumstances. And they go to the the ownership of the club and say they're unhappy and and say, well, if you did this and if you allowed me to do that, then I'll 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 be what you want me to be on the football field. And funnily enough, it never happens. Um, and I think it's. The difference between players like Pogba and Neymar,
0: who have been lauded as potential world players
1: of the years, and Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo, who actually are the best players in the world, is the focus on improving themselves in the field and actually delivering as athletes, as sportsmen. Um, And the money, while being important to them, being the secondary aspect in, in their careers and the fame being a secondary aspect in their careers. Um, And I I think that's something that football clubs are going to have to be very conscious of when they do these big deals going forward because the the transfer fees aren't going to go down. Salaries aren't going to go down. um, The the commercial importance of, of each deal to a club is not going to go down. There's going to be so much invested in that individual. Clubs are going to have to be very careful to choose the right people and to handle them in a way that they actually get the proper return on investment on the field from these players; otherwise, you run into the kind of exactly the kind of problems that Manchester United and uh, Paris Saint-Germain have with Pogba and Neymar, and Real Madrid have with Gareth Bale. It's not a coincidence that these three players, who've been um, in all world record transfer fees, all the highest-paid players at the club at some point, are now. Uh, surplus of requirements to a certain degree by their clubs or the, 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 the focus of major um, recruitment and investment decisions by those clubs uh, because they've made an initial decision to buy the wrong individual and given them too much money in doing that.
0: Now, just for sheer entertainment value, I'm not talking about on the pitch here. I think I'd love to see Neymar and Paul playing at the same club next season. And you just mentioned Gareth Bale, so maybe, <laughs> maybe we could maybe we could get FC Hollywood at the Santa Fe with Bernabeu next season. I've just been given an inspired thought, listeners. Remember, you know the Wednesdays uh, podcast is your questions answered. Here's a little, a little bonus extra for you. Send us your bad boys eleven, the worst-paid <laughs> footballers in history. Ones, give us them 1 to 11. Please try and keep them in position if you can, although we will forgive little ones to make sure you're squeezing in the best ones, yeah? So uh, do that along with your questions and answers for us on Wednesday. Oops. Going to move to heroes and villains for this particular podcast. I'm going to go first because I think this is a truly epic and heroic performance from Maurizio Sari, who has, believe it or not, managed to be the first manager in the Roman Abramovich era not to be sacked. In fact, Chelsea actually got compensation for him. Now, you think about the illustrious names that have gone before him. The little man with his you know, false cigarette buttons, and the grizzly beard and hair—he was the one that didn't get sacked. Duncan, I'm going to leave the villain to you.
1: I think uh, I think the villain of the week is pretty clear. Um, it's the it's the man who uh, who scripted that little um, soliloquy from Paul Pogba in Tokyo. Um, the, the, man the man who always Ryla. gets his slice. The man who always gets his slice. The as, pizza as man K-
0: Kaiser Duck would love to say. The pizza
1: man celebrating the lifting of his uh, of his FIFA agency ban by uh, sticking the uh, the pizza slice deep into the heart of Ed Woodward from <laughs> afar in far east.
0: Magnificent. We're going to bring this podcast to a close, but of course. Uh, if you want to continue the debate and we love it when you do you can contact us at the at transfer podcast handle on Twitter Duncan is at Duncan Castles and I'm at Garbo SJ if you like what you hear and we know you do so do us a favour get onto iTunes give us a five star review and we can open this up to even more people we'll be back because we'll be seeing you through the transfer window on Wednesday for now thanks for listening